Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, friend in life, man of the hour, trying to adjust for rankings for probably the worst week of quarterback play we will ever see at our lifetimes. It is John Paulson. Paulson, how are you hanging in there? I'm doing all right. I'm also waiting for a pool table delivery, so I might have to hop off. I just fair right. warning, I might have to hop off the, uh, the the stream for a few minutes to deal with that. But uh, yes, the quarterback situation this week is dire. There is a, just a group down at the bottom of the rankings that have no business starting, uh, but they are, and uh, we have to deal with the ramifications. Between Little Caesars, HelloFresh, and a couple solo shows per week, the people will be just fine with my voice. If they haven't run away and our numbers are up, so I know they're not running away just yet, they will make it for one more week with just me. We'll be okay while you live the how rich life. Before we begin, because there is a lot to discuss here on a week with four buys, reminder, the Halloween sale is up, but you can still get a discount at 44.com for the rest of the year. And... If you're already eliminated from those redraft leagues, just remember the discount goes across the board for everything. So either myself and TG Hernandez with our DFS content or Ryan Newton and Connor Allen with tackle and player props. Also, Kevin O'Brien doing great work with NBA player props too. Like we could get you that money back for sure at a discount now for the rest of the season at 44.com. So make sure to jump on the site, check out the plans and get in because it is certainly not too late before those league dues are owed to your commissioner. Let's begin though with this Thursday night game between the Titans and the Steelers being three point favorites. And in the waiver column, I ranked Will Levis as the third quarterback pickup of the week. The third streamer, both short-term and long-term, behind Sam Howell and Derek Carr. And some people were shocked. And that's just because we need to temper our expectations with what we saw from Levis. Because on one hand, yes, he did have explosiveness. The Titans didn't have a, didn't have a single touchdown over 20 yards before Levis went under center last week. All of a sudden now, they have three over 20 yards. But he was still bad. He was still 3.8 yards per attempt under pressure. And if you look at the advanced metrics, literally dead last in the league, 44th out of 44 in success rate through the air too. And now on the road on a short week with DeAndre Hopkins battling with his toe injury, I'm slightly concerned. Also, we know his 13.8% touchdown rate is not sustainable. So I want to temper my expectations for Levis tonight. Having said that, if you're desperate, and we all are because of the quarterbacks we'll talk about in the show, of course you can pick them up. I did in Superflex Leagues, and I still plan on starting them. So what is your outlook for Levis this evening and the Titans passing game? Yeah, I mean, his, his yards per attempt were good, 8, 8.2. The four touchdowns, 230-something yards. So on the surface, it looks good. You mentioned some uh, advanced metrics that uh, are worrisome. <laughs> Uh, Hopkins is going to play. Uh, it is a good matchup against Pittsburgh. This team, I mean, maybe they've changed personnel a little bit, but they're 18th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They're 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to wide receivers. So the matchup is fairly favorable. I do think the Steelers should be able to put up some points through the air on the Titans, and this one uh, maybe is a little higher scoring than people think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, of all the guys that are, you know, being thrust into a starting role, at least we saw one game where uh, Levis uh, did, did pretty well. I still worry 
you mentioned points being on the board. I still worry about the Steelers offense because I know the narrative has been, let's wait and see if Kenny Pickett can get back under center. But the issue is they've been terrible with Kenny Pickett under center. 31st in points per drive, 28th in yards per play. They're punting at the highest rate in the league to end their drives. So I don't know. I worry about the Steelers offense as a whole. And honestly, we saw them take the explosiveness out of that passing attack last week. They went back to the same old garbage, running George Pickens on a route on his highest rate on go routes last week, 68% of his routes. And then we saw them. That's why Deontay Johnson had that 40% target share because they went back to pelting him underneath in the flats, which doesn't help him because he's just a high floor option without a ceiling then because he hasn't scored a touchdown in his last 184 targets. And it doesn't help Pickens because then he joins the Amari Cooper, Garrett Wilson shadow realm of guys who actually their targets don't matter. They have to score a touchdown to get there every week. So I'm I'm concerned personally. The over-under is 37. So Vegas agrees uh, this is going to be a low-scoring game. I, You know, the, the Titans are also... A, a pass funnel. Uh, they did have a couple games there uh, without their defensive tackle uh, that they struggled against the run, but they're 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. Um, so Pickens and, and Deontay Johnson might be able to, uh, to get it done. A game that should be higher scoring though, as we move on, because everyone knows they're going to start Derek Henry. And although they don't want to, you have to start Najee Harris this week, especially if, again, as we said, we expect Will Levis to struggle under pressure and in a short week. That means the Steelers will at least be giving Harris 20 touches and cross your fingers he does anything with them, which is Harris's outlook for the entire year. I do have faith for the Dolphins at the Chiefs, an early morning kickoff. So remember to set those lineups because it's happening in Frankfurt at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. And at least what we saw on the Dolphins' side of the ball is that their defense has struggled immensely in their only three tests of the year. 34 points in the season opener to Justin Herbert, 48 points as the Bills drowned them by Josh Allen. And a couple weeks ago, even with Jalen Hurts experiencing his knee injury, 31 points in that loss to the Eagles. Now a Chiefs defense coming off Patrick Mahomes' worst game of his career solely because he had the flu. I have a high hopes for the Chiefs offense in this game. Not only that, but for the Dolphins side of the ball, we've seen the Chiefs, even with Chris Jones since week two, be a run funnel. They have stopped the pass. They've eliminated opposing offenses, but running backs are still getting there. We saw Javante Williams just last week. That's how the Broncos exploited the Chiefs. 30 touches to Javante Williams, who honestly is probably the number one buy low, buy high option before his buy because in three games, we're not talking about the Broncos this week, they're on buy, but just a quick note for everyone. In three games since he returned from injury, his share of the team's backfield touches have increased in every game. And then when the Broncos returned from their buy in week 10, they had the fourth easiest projected rushing schedule over the next half of the season. So we should be going all in on Javante Williams once the Broncos return. But this Explosive rushing attack for the Dolphins still predicates on explosive passes. So although Raheem Mostert struggled through his ankle injury clearly, didn't see a single target for the first time all year last week, 
he's still the player they funnel through as Jeff Wilson and Savon Ahmed for only one more week because we're getting Devon A. Chan back after Miami's bye next week. But for one more week, it runs through Raheem Mostert. So I do have a lot of confidence in Mostert here against this Chiefs defense now, allowing 4.4 yards per carry to opposing running backs. Paulson, your thoughts on Mostert this week? Yeah, it should be a bounce back game for him. He didn't uh, get a catch, but he did run run the most routes in his backfield by a wide margin. So he's still the RB1 there. Uh, the Chiefs are fourth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, which is slightly concerning. So instead of being like a, you know, in the six to eight range where he's been the last few weeks, I have him at RB12 this week, but this should be a high scoring game. So there's a good chance that he finds the end zone. Any thoughts on the Chiefs Pats catchers before we move on? Because Justin Watson came back, and as we expected, we saw them shuffle their receivers. Uh, even Rasheed Rice, his route rate dipped to 58%, which I still think is enough to keep him there as a wide receiver four, wide receiver four or five the rest of the season, as long as he's getting those routes. But they will continue using everyone as we expected. Yeah, uh, Rice is the only receiver that I would want to start. Uh, he's got a pretty good uh, matchup in the slot this week um, against uh, Cater Kohu, uh, who's in, on a fantasy points uh, per route covered basis, the worst uh, cornerback in this secondary. So that's a good matchup for him. He's in the slot uh, and he's been the guy that's been trustworthy, even though he didn't you know, do much last week, he still had over uh, 50 yards uh, receiving and was the leading receiver in the, you know, other than uh, Travis Kelsey in, in terms of, every, you know, yardage and targets and all that. So he's the guy I would trust. I'd rest of these guys. I'm, you know, Watson start, you know, he's, he's been playing a lot of snaps. He might be number two at this point, uh, you know, just given the other options here in this uh, Kansas city passing game. The Vikings at the Falcons present our first grenade game and that everyone is questioning how much value does X in this case, Jordan Addison lose with Jaron Hall or Josh Dobbs rest of season under center. And so what I've told everyone, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is that I moved Jordan Addison back like Garrett Wilson and to that range of players that we mentioned earlier, Marquise Brown included, where he really just needs a touchdown now. I, I do still am a little more encouraged about Addison compared to Garrett Wilson, Marquise Brown, because unlike those other guys, at least Kevin O'Connell has been scheming targets uh, creatively for Addison to keep him involved. Screens, red zone. Like, they are actually using him properly, as whereas those other guys just run deep, and then you have to cross your fingers, they catch passes. That's the only way they get there. So still a little more confident for Jordan Addison, but I definitely moved him down to a wide receiver three rest of the season because even Josh Dobbs, unless he's the player he was the first month, isn't helping anyone. The last month of the season, Dobbs has completed 56% of his passes, 37% on throws 10 yards downfield, eight fumbles. He was awful. So I absolutely lost confidence in these guys moving forward. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I saw a lot of memes and gifts and, and whatnot celebrating the Josh Dobbs trade for for. Vikings, but I think they're grasping at straws a little I'm bit. I'm rooting for he, him because he, he's a yeah. he's a good kid. He's a fun player, but I, this past month has been dreadful, unfortunately. Uh, 5.8 yards per attempt. He's got, mm. I think, 10 touchdown passes and 10 starts uh, career in his career. Um, you know, maybe it's better than what you know uh, the, the current situation is uh, this week with Jaron Hall. 
Um, Nick Mullins is supposed to be back soon. Uh, he has some decent numbers in his background because he played for San Francisco and that's a good quarterback friendly offense. Um, as far as this week, uh, yeah, these, these, uh, receivers for the the Vikings have slid down the rankings in terms of what we're projecting. And that, you know, that stems from the Vegas total and what they're expecting in terms of points scored for the Vikings. But, you know, Addison's at 33 this week. Um, KJ Osborne at 44. We're not even sure how they're going to distribute these targets, but the, the thing going for you, working for you, if you are trusting Addison is that, you know, Minnesota has been very pass heavy. Uh, and in terms of like, uh, Jaron Hall's college numbers. He looks. He's projecting to be an average rookie quarterback in his first few starts. And, yeah, he's a day three you know, quarterback. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, maybe there's something decent, and and maybe Addison is able to score a touchdown or something like that. So that's that's the upside. But I've got him at 33 as a wide receiver three this week. I also worry about T.J. Hawkinson and this spot, but rest of season, even from Dobbs, at least we saw. Dobbs target his Cardinals tight ends at the second highest rate in the league. And the way they use Hawkinson, it doesn't matter who they have under center, right? Like he's still 31st in depth of target. He runs these dinky two yard routes and he gets there solely on volume as a player without a ceiling. Like that doesn't go away because they're suddenly not going to start running him deep if they didn't whenever they lost Justin Jefferson. They used him the same way, like Alvin Kamara, the tight end. So it's fine. Hawkinson will survive any quarterback change because of the way they use him as a high floor option. On the other side of the ball, we're also seeing Taylor Heineke come in. And Drake London most likely out this game. It sounds like he wants to play, but the team doctors may be holding him back with that groin injury. And if that's the case, I know you write the Sneaky Starts article on the site. My Sneaky Smart would then be Van Jefferson because at least we know the Vikings have allowed the second most fantasy points per game to opposing boundary receivers. And when Heineke came onto the field, Jefferson saw a team high 25% target share. So that would be my pivot for 12 and 14 team leagues. If London misses this game. Yeah. He had five targets. Uh, Van Jefferson did. I would think uh, five out of 21 pass attempts. I would think, but, and Kadero Hodge actually had three catches for 75 yards. He was the most productive on a, on a per target basis, but I would think they would, this would be the situation where you'd have to use Kyle Pitts and pepper him with 10 uh, targets. So I've got him ranked a little bit higher than I normally do. I normally fade him, you know, relative to consensus uh, in the, in my projections just because he doesn't usually live up to what people think he can do. But I think with Drake London out, do they really have, much of an option, but I, I do agree that of the receivers, Van Jefferson is the most likely to see the most targets, but Kadero Hodge has a little bit of upside there since it looks like, you know, he had 75 catch uh, 75 yards on three catches. He had 75 of Heineke's 175 yard passing uh, last week. Make little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. And now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesars pretzel stuffed crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, Everyone wins 
with Little Caesars convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Prize Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Prize Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their prize pick stat projection. It's that easy. Quick withdrawals, an enormous selection of players, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Prize Picks even offers in game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together with more A.J. Brown receiving yards or less Jordan Love passing yards. Now, it's possible. Just go to prizepicks.com slash accurate and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The... Seahawks at the Ravens do give me, oh, quickly, um, with the quarterback changes, any thoughts on the Vikings backfield? Because now we have at least seen this four-game sample with Cam Akers, and really the one time Alexander Madison handled over 90% of the team's backfield touches, that was the blip on the radar, because Akers has now seen at least 28% of their backfield touches in three of those four games coming out of the bye with seven touches to Madison's 10-2. So I think it's a timeshare, but any thoughts? Are we losing even more value for what has been a very ineffective backfield with Josh Dobbs or Jaron Hall? Yeah, I mean, I think your chances of scoring a rushing touchdown, which were already pretty low, uh, are even lower now because, of just you know, will the drive, sustained drives be there for the Vikings offense? Um, Madison is a... You know, he had 17 touches last week, um, 27 in the last two weeks. There, it is just basically a timeshare, uh, Madison in the lead role, but only slightly. It's not like Akers has come in and tore anything up behind the same line either. He's had a couple of decent plays, but they continue to go back to Madison as the lead back. Um, it is more of a, you have to start him because you have nobody else healthy. He's an RB3 at this point. I do have faith in the Seahawks at the Ravens because... The Seahawks coming out of their bye for three games, got everyone healthy in their secondary, and now they've leaned on zone coverage on 83% of their snaps in that time. And we know Lamar Jackson has been pelting zone coverage for a league-best 78% completion rate and eight yards per attempt. Not only that, but the few times the Seahawks have played a mobile quarterback this year, they all got there. Daniel Jones had 66 rushing yards. Josh Dobbs had 43 yards and a touchdown. And P.J. Walker last week even reached 27 rushing yards. So between Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers, who is still averaging a team-high 26.6% target share against zone coverage, I have faith in the Ravens offense getting there through the air this week. I don't necessarily want to chase Gus Edwards falling forward for three touchdowns as he did last week with the Ravens being nine and a half point favorites. Like the game script just happened to work out for us last week. Yeah. The, the Seahawks are an interesting defense because they actually in real world terms, their numbers are pretty good, but from an adjusted fantasy they have good point. Players allowed, too. Yeah. Yeah. And they've gotten people healthy. Uh, but uh, you know, from adjusted fantasy points allowed standpoint, they're 
bottom half in just about every category. Lamar Jackson, they're 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They're 18th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to, to running backs. So I do have Gus Edwards ranked as an RB2. Uh, and, you know, receiver, it's a little dice here, I think. Uh, you know, Zay Flower, uh, not uh, Zay Flower. Um, yes, uh, Zay Flowers, uh, Seattle, 26th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to receivers as well. He's, you know, obviously the biggest threat. He and uh, Mark Andrews in the passing game, but he's been a little bit uh, pinched by, you know, Odell Beckham being healthy, Rashad Bateman being healthy, Aguilar being healthy. Uh, So his numbers are down just a tad here in terms of his usage. And it's because of the way they use him. Uh, He leads the team with 15 red zone targets, but he doesn't have a single end zone target because they practically only then go to those bigger receivers like Aguilar, Beckham for end zone targets. They feature a Mark Andrews in that area too. So it's like Zay Flowers is, uh, he's like, okay, if we are, we already pointed out tight end Alvin Kamara and TJ Hawkins said Zay Flowers is wide receiver Alvin Kamara and that he just gets everything underneath. So he's just like, backdooring his way to all these PPR points. So he's a fun and exciting receiver, but for him to pop up and reach a ceiling, you need the team to use him differently. So still roll him out there, but for t- for things like ladders and betting props for DFS even too, Zay Flowers honestly just lacks a ceiling because of how they use him. And for the other side of the ball, it's at least interesting because the Bravens haven't played anyone. The last five quarterbacks they've faced, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff on the road, and Josh Dobbs. Like, even Pickett was the only quarterback to reach seven yards per attempt against them all year because, again, they haven't played anyone. Having said that, going back to even last year, they have historically schemed a good defense, a pass defense at least. So we do think they're good. We just don't know the range of how good they are. So we're still throwing Geno Smith out there if we have faith in their offense. and. I think it's a bounce back week personally for DK Metcalf. And I'm curious how you rank the receivers because since they're by when we can say Metcalf got over his rib injury, he has taken a lead ahead of Tyler Lockett, a 29 and a half percent target share to Tyler Lockett's 21.7%. And he's also one of these guys we can foresee regression coming sometime soon because in terms of, expected points from the target share and routes run. He still has actually underwhelmed by 20 fewer fantasy points than what he's been expected to score based on his usage. So I think it is a DK DK Metcalf week personally. Well, that's interesting. Uh, The, the Ravens are showing up as as a tough matchup. And I think uh, it probably comes down because you said they hadn't played anybody. The the golf, the golf matchup on the road. And to be is, fair, who is, has played anyone? Like we we can't even put thirteen competent quarterbacks on in the league. So, yeah, I think they what they did to golf or how they were able to limit golf really helped their adjusted fantasy points allowed because they're third in, in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They're I think fourth or fifth, the fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. So I'm not like super bullish on the the Seattle passing game. They teams have actually seemed like they've had more. Uh, success running the ball on the on the Ravens than they have uh, throwing the ball but Seattle's a you know they're kind of a frisky team I'm interested to see how this game goes because this is you know two teams that are with, with winning records and we saw what happened last time the you know the Lions went into to Baltimore and just got steamrolled so uh, I'm not running looking to run out Geno Smith but there are certainly this week 
given the quarterback uh, landscape, he is, you know, a high end QB two. And you say teams like to run the ball in the Ravens. Okay. Let's go to that situation because last week, Kenneth Walker didn't practice on either Wednesday or Thursday with his calf injury and was removed from the injury report on Friday. So we thought everything was okay, but we instead saw Walker handle a season low 56% share of the team's backfield touches, whereas Charbonnet popped up not only for a season high 44% share, but it was also the first time all year he ran a route on over 40% of their dropbacks as an actual pass catching back. And he ran around on 57%. So it was overwhelming usage in favor of Charbonnet. Not only that, but Pete Carroll then came out on Tuesday and Wednesday and gushed about Charbonnet's usage, talking about how they wanted to start getting him involved more anyhow. So what is your outlook on this backfield moving forward? I think last week, I'm chalking that up to to Walker being dinged up. Uh, if he's healthier this week, looking at the practice uh, reports, then I don't know that he's going to be back to a bell cow role because for a while there, he was seeing almost all the touches. And so now he's ranked as a high-end RB2. Given the, the nature of the position, he's below the Mostert, the Pollard, uh, Tony Pollard, but he's in there with Gus Edwards and James Cook and Ramondre Stevenson because he's going. it looks like he's going to be a timeshare back. And I think that just looking at this matchup, you know, the, the Ravens are giving up 5.4 yards per attempt against the pass. You mentioned the quarterback they've faced so maybe it's not quite that good and they've but they've yielded uh, 4.1 yards per carry which is you know league average uh they don't look like they're a run funnel or anything like that i just think that they're a pretty good defense and the seahawks are gonna have it's gonna be it's gonna be like a stingy game i think defensively for the hellscape that is the bears at the saints we know we can't start deontay foreman whenever we expect the bears to lose and that's this game in particular. Dating back to last year when Foreman has been active with the Panthers and the Bears. 27.7 rushing yards per game and 13 losses. 94.6 and 8 wins. And we saw that come to fruition last week with the Bears getting drowned by the Chargers. As a non-pass catching back, as a singular talent on the ground, you just can't play Foreman when you're trailing. And that's the issue. So we are going away from the Bears backfield entirely here. Any faith in DJ Moore or Cole Komet against the Saints defense from Tyson Bajant? Well, Moore has been, you know, targeted fairly heavily, although Cole Komet um, got, yeah, like he hadn't been targeted in a game plus with, uh, with Bajant, but then got, I think, 10 targets last week, caught all 10. So now I think we're back to, you know, somebody must have had a talk uh, there to try to sort that out. Um I, you know, I don't think it's a great matchup against the Saints, but the Bears are unlikely to be, you know, leading this game or in a competitive game for, you know, outside the first half. So I think, as you mentioned, uh, Foreman is dicey. They really have to run the ball well for him to to pay off. And Roshan Johnson, you know, he saw three catches, but they also used Darrington Evans quite a bit. 27% snap share out of nowhere. He had the rushing touchdown as well. So this is a kind of a backfield that I'm trying to avoid. For the Saints, we are obviously playing Camara. The Bears' rushing defense has been very good this year, expected to get better with Montez Sweat in the mix. But in seeding receiving points to opposing running backs, this is clearly the week for him. Where do you have Chris Olave ranked among your receivers, though? Because 
it is becoming an Alave issue more so than anything. We even saw him pop last week on the outside against Tony Jones, gets deep for a 60-yard touchdown, and instead, PFF couldn't even chart him with a drop because it was such a bad play that it hit off his helmet, so it didn't count as a drop. He just literally did nothing with it. So uh, we worry about Alave, but at least we know he's getting open and it's more of his mistakes than anything else. Yeah, I, I chalked that up to maybe he looked back up and it got lost in the lights or something there. That is not that is very unusual. Chris Olave, I think he's a, a good player. Uh, certainly the opportunity there. I think it was a 40 or 50 yard touchdown potential with that one. Uh, yeah, how, yeah, can't even charge that as a drop. Uh, the Bears are 14th and just a fancy points allowed to uh, receivers. I think we just talked about Olave last week and you were telling me I was too low on him. I did move him up as I was looking at that game and, and Derek Carr was you know, his his yardage was kind of creeping up and in, in the projections, and that ha- had a result of moving Olave up. So I've got him at 13 because I still think um, he he uh, Olave because he's just getting so many targets and he's really due. He, he's popping in the breakout receiver model. I think he's due for a really good game, and you know the Bears are certainly a team that can be had. I like that this game is at home as well. He's very quick on the on the turf. Taysom Hill low end tight end one rest of season as well. Very encouraged by his usage. They got Jawan Johnson back, and his routes were scaled. Like the past two games without Johnson, he was at 70% route participation, got scaled back to 48%. But that's still a route on half their dropbacks, basically, and six carries inside the 10, uh, six carries inside the red zone, three inside the 10 yard line. Like they put him where he has touchdown equity. So you couple all of that with two pass attempts as a quarterback, too. That is better than most tight ends getting 80% route participation. You don't even think twice about it. You start Taysom Hill. For the Cardinals at the Browns, the Browns had interesting running back usage because Jerome Ford came in banged up and ultimately handled a season-low 27% of the team's carries, but was also inefficient, as we expected, because he was trying to play through a high ankle sprain, and no one does that successfully. Not only that, Kareem Hunt limited throughout the week after being a true game-time call the week prior, and we saw him not receive a single carry from the 336 mark of the third quarter on. So also scaling him back. At the same time, though, although they got Pierre Strong involved, they would still put Kareem Hunt in inside the 10-yard line because that's who they trust the most. So I do have confidence in Kareem Hunt, even if he's limited here. I have confidence in Pierre Strong if Jerome Ford remains limited too. But ultimately, with three guys for a terrible offense playing here, it's still pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, I think with with Hunt, you can start him. I have him ranked the highest of the three with Ford uh, being next, just thinking that the just thinking that Ford will be healthier this week. Uh, we'll see what his practice participation looks like today and tomorrow. That will maybe change some things. But uh, I think Hunt is certainly startable due to the the goal line carries. He did lead them in touches as well with 15, uh, led them in snaps barely with 35%, uh, Jerome Ford at 33%, and Pierre Strong at 31%. But what I would expect if Ford is healthier is this to become a Hunt slash Ford backfield with Pierre Strong taking a back seat. Although, you know, Strong ran pretty well, 10 for 41. Um, but I think that that was the reason that the reason he got all that work is because Ford was pretty hobbled and, uh, you know, they didn't want to overload him or Hunt because Hunt was coming off the injuries as well. And 
we will see for the Browns because whether it's Deshaun Watson or or PJ Walker, Amari Cooper sustains at least in terms of targets. He still needs to actually score a touchdown to get there because their offense is so bad. But at least we've seen him have a team high 29% target share from PJ Walker. And the Cardinals are allowing the eighth most points per game to receivers from out wide where Cooper runs a majority of his routes. If we get to Sean Watson, though, it's David and Joko who loses out because from PJ Walker and Joku's had a 21% target share. But from Deshaun Watson, he was unplayable. Didn't reach five targets in any game and just an 11% target share. I have Njoku in a lot of these high stakes leagues, and I am very aware that I'm just benching him if Deshaun Watson's named the starter. Yeah, they're probably streamers that you'd want to use uh, with Watson and uh, instead of Njoku. But right now I have PG Walker as a starter, Njoku at 10 uh, amongst the tight ends, which I think is fairly high ranking for him. Uh, and then you mentioned Cooper. Uh, the Cardinals are 20th in just a fantasy points allowed. I, I have enough trust with him and PJ Walker. I mean, he had six for 89 last week on 11 targets. So, you know, you're still in a short week where we got some teams on by. You're still running uh, Cooper out there in all likelihood, unless you're pretty stacked at receiver. The Cardinals for Amari DiMarcado, a absolutely miserable spot with Clayton Toon under center. Kyler Murray fully expected not to return this game. I would have, they, they cannot throw him on the road against Cleveland in bad weather in his first start. He will start at home next week. And because of that, we absolutely lose Marquise Brown. I'm not trying to play Marquise Brown anywhere from Clayton Toon. At least we know Demir Cotto, though, 37 of the team's 44 backfield touches the past two games. When you look at the rankings and you see every running back is bad, you just say, okay, Demir Cotto's a touch based RB2. I'll throw him out there in an absolutely miserable spot. And I don't care what he does because I just need the touches this week. Trey yeah, McBride. I, got him at, I just want to mention I've got him at 27. I uh, moved him down uh, as I know he's dealing with an injury as well on top of things. Um, they lost Damian Williams uh, to injury as well. So Keontae Ingram is the backup there, but it's a bad matchup. You don't want to start Di Mercado, but I think is a, you know, RB three, some people are going to have to. Good luck finding an RB two. That's what I say. If you, if you don't want to start Di Mercado, I dare you to find someone better. Uh, and then for Trey McBride, you're obviously starting him last week. League or team high, season high, 84% route participation, 38.8% target share without Zach Ertz. Certainly don't expect that target share to continue. But again, the, the quarterback play is going to be so bad from Arizona this week. I bet it's just garbage time dump offs to McBride underneath. So just keep starting, Trey McBride, and then we will evaluate it further with Kyler Murray in the future. For the Bucks at the Texans, a sneaky good spot for CJ Stroud because we've seen the Bucks defense out of the bye turn into pumpkins since they've returned eight yards per attempt to Jared Goff at home. That's Jared Goff road splits. I know you like those 10 yards per attempt to the now bench Desmond Ritter and 8.1 yards per attempt to zombie shoulder Josh Allen. They have been getting scorched. So one week after we talked about how much we like CJ Stroud in a spot against the Panthers and he didn't get there because Frankie Louvu looked like a cheat code on defense and the Panthers got some important defenders back. I really love this spot for the Texans passing game. Yeah, I've got Stroud at nine, quarterback nine, which is fairly high, but uh, I think that's justifiable yeah. given the matchup. It's a pass funnel defense as well. They're really, I, I wouldn't want to start uh, Devin Singletary or Damian Pierce if both play. It does look like Damian Pierce uh, 
is a DNP, uh, so he's injured. So if he's out, then you then you're in, you, you could you could run Singletary out there as a volume based play, just like you would uh, Di Mercado. Um, but this is going to be uh, if if the Texans are able to move the ball, they're going to be doing it through the air. So I like Nico Collins uh, to have a bounce back game and Tank Dell as well. And I think Dalton Schultz is certainly uh, startable as a low end uh, tight end one. We are monitoring for the backfields damian pierce who was a dmp on thursday it has become a true timeshare the past two games for the texans with pierce and singletary handling 25 touches apiece it is a miserable spot on the ground for singletary but if pierce is out again i dare you to find 18 touchbacks this week so you would start singletary regardless of the ensuing results on the other side of the ball too rashad white won't be able to run against anyone but especially against the Texans, but he's seen a double-digit target share in every game since week two. That's why you keep playing him. You do not worry about his 30 rushing yards. You just take the targets and call the day and keep starting him. For the Commanders at the Patriots, a game that exists for betting purposes because if we weren't trying to pay our rent and mortgages, we would never watch these two teams play professional football. But I am excited this week because we've seen the commanders lay down on defense. Every quarterback since week two has finished as a top 10 option and average 290 passing yards, two and a half touchdowns, and 24 fantasy points against them. And now, no Montez Sweat or Chase Young. So I think the Patriots offense is in a prime spot here. Mac Jones, for me, who is a low-end QB1 this week too. But your thoughts on who benefits in the passing game from Mac Jones? I mean, yeah, that's aggressive. That's aggressive for for Jones. I have him at at eighteen, but I don't think I've fully digested the defensive trades that the. It's also the about the landscape <laughs> of the quarterbacks we're trying <laughs> yeah. to run out there. Well, the matchup is already good, and they gave up their two pass rushers. Uh, the, the Washington is thirtieth in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to uh, quarterbacks, but I I don't like that Kendrick Bourne tore his ACL. He's been one of my favorite guys to rank because I just rank him higher than everybody else does that I could tell and he just keeps delivering for the most part and he's out so Demario Douglas I think is the sneaky start is the next guy up as the primary guy they are they ran Jalen Rager like a ton of routes last week he's ahead of yeah he's ahead of Devontae Parker it looks like it's going to be Rager Demario Douglas and Juju Smith-Schuster as the top three options there. Maybe Hunter Henry is back on the you know streaming radar as a as a possibility with you know Gasicki as well because of their you know they're down bad at receiver. They don't have a proven option. And Demario Douglas as the you know upstart guy, he's been the next best guy after after Bourne. So that's that's sort of the the way I have him ranked. I'll have an entirely different opinion on Demario Douglas in the DFS show on Friday. This week only, by the way, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, a special time, uh, because he is Wandale Robinson or T.J. Hawkinson. Like, he has a 2.3-yard depth of target. I don't care about DeMario Douglas because he doesn't have a ceiling. But for Redraft, yes, you absolutely start him because it is an amazing spot for him. I agree with you. Also, to see at least 20% of the team's targets these past two games since he returned from injury, we're a little bit higher on him. On the other side of the ball, the... Commander's target tree has also been condensed with Curtis Samuel battling this toe injury the past two games. And because of that, Jahan Dotson has popped back up 18 targets to McLaurin's 21 the past two weeks. And we've now seen him have 
21% target share the past two games too. So we like Terry McLaurin. We like Jahan Dotson suddenly in a great spot we expect to be a shootout. And then Logan Thomas as well. Where do you have McLaurin and Dotson ranked this week? Yeah, McLaurin at 24, Dotson at 40. This is all half PPR when I'm talking about this. Logan Thomas I have as a top eight option this week. Uh, I think this is an interesting, because you talked about the the defense lying down. That put pre- that's put, put uh, puts pressure on the offense to throw the ball more. And I think the, the commanders are up there in terms of pass rate over expected. They lead the league in uh, dropbacks per game because their defense is so bad. Yeah, they have to keep their foot on the gas. So I think Sam Howell, even though it's not a great matchup, the Patriots sixth and just a fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, the volume should be there for him to get there. And he also, you know, adds a little bit as a runner as well. He has a good set of this is the same, same uh, you know, assessment that we made in the in the preseason is that he's got a good set of receivers uh and can run the ball and is live. And he's been, you know, he was QB one last week. He's had some ups and downs, uh, but this one should be one, you know, with the Patriots are able to score some points that uh, the the commanders are gonna have to throw the ball as well. Also, Eric Bieniemy, an interesting wrinkle in their game plan this past week against the Eagles. Uh, Sam Howell had his quickest time from snap to throw, 2.4 seconds, in any game this year. And because of that, 10 of 15 under pressure, and more importantly, only took one sack, and that was the last play of the game when he was trying to extend it to move the chain. So if that's the case, and we're getting the dropbacks, plus more efficiency under pressure, yes, Sam Howell, low in QB1, three consecutive top six finishes, and overall QB1 finish last week. I think people are still starting like the wrong players in their lineups compared to Sam Howe, who who honestly probably is a QB1 the rest of the way weekly. The Rams at the Packers. How far down are you moving Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua because Brett Rippon won't get them there? Uh, it, uh, interesting that you hate Brett Rippon. Uh, oh, yeah, interesting, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cup, you know, is usually a top five guy with Stafford. I've got him at nine this week. I think that might be even a little too aggressive with him. Mike Evans, Devontae Adams below him, Jalen Waddell. I think it's tough. Uh, Nakua is ranked as a low-end uh, wide receiver, too. The Obviously, the expected points for the Rams fell off a cliff, and uh, I've got Rippon at 26. Uh, so it's it's not a good situation. You're hoping that he just peppers Cup with, with targets. Um the, the Packers are actually a lot worse against the run than they are against the pass. Uh, so Daryl Henderson, if they just go super run heavy, Daryl Henderson, Daryl Henderson is, is interesting, um, but he's more of a low end RB too, just because he's splitting time with uh, Royce Freeman still. That's the thing is that it's still a timeshare and using the running game would entail them hanging around in this one. But with Brett yeah. Rippon, well, on the road, because we're not expecting Stafford to play since the Rams not only play in the cold with that sprained ligament on his throwing hand, they have to buy next week. Always a sign they're going to rest their quarterback. So I don't expect Stafford to play, and I don't expect him to hang around with Brett Rippon. So if that's the case, I think we just get a boring game. We can have the Packers finally hide Jordan Love because he shouldn't be out there, and they're just going to lean on Aaron Jones and, more importantly, A.J. Dillon, and this is going to be an awful game that only you and other fans will be watching. I'll be watching, and I, yes. I do not I do not have your confidence that the Rams won't hang around in this one. If you watch <laughs> the Packers' offense, especially in the first half, it'll be close at halftime, and uh, I think they'll have enough reason to continue to run the ball with Henderson. I know everyone also <laughs> is asking about Christian Watson. It's just hard, though, man, because like, like 
like a lot of players right now struggling to get there as receivers, it's not their fault. Uh, like right now, Jordan Love from a clean pocket too, but under pressure has been miserable since David Bakhtiari has been out um, on throws 10 yards deep the past month, has only completed 36, 36% of them, which is 34th in the league. And Watson runs those deep routes. I think that's why we saw Jaden Reed pop up like he led the team in routes run last week and at least has had a 13% target share these past two games. The Packers' only offense has really been Romeo Dobbs just sandwiching him targets inside the 10-yard line. So the receivers are just hard to parse through because, yes, we, we do want to start Watson, but we just can't. Like, cause it's just a prayer right now. Yeah, in a short week, he's ranked as a uh, wide receiver four, so that's where we're at with Watson. I mean, I think he was being drafted uh, top 20, top 25 this this year so it's it's been a big fall they they try to get him uh on deep shots but they're just not connecting at this point and that might change at some point i mean i'm sure watson will have a big game before the season is over just no telling when it's going to come i've got them all all those receivers for the packers ranked you know 39 41 and 45 uh, watson uh dobbs and reed uh, respectively for the colts at the panthers I, I want it to be exciting. My one issue is that although the Panthers did do some fun things out of the bye, including being more aggressive, 67% of their early down plays were passes as opposed to before the bye, it was at 45% with Frank Wright calling plays. They were still a run-heavy team and giving Bryce Young too long of third downs. At the same time, though, we know Gus Bradley has never seen a snap that he doesn't want to play zone coverage on. And Bryce Young has been so bad against zone coverage this year. 25th in completion rate, 5.7 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns and three picks. So if Thomas Brown didn't change everything overnight, I worry that the Panthers are still just going to struggle and be boring through the air in this game, despite being an up-tempo one. Where do you have Thielen? And I think Jonathan Mingo would be the only other player benefits here ranked. Uh, Thielen's at seven, so he's, you know, given his target shares and everything and his consistency so far, uh, he's he's a solid uh, wide receiver one, low-end wide receiver one uh, this week. It, it pains me to say it a little bit, but he's delivering. Uh, Bryce Young, you, you outlined his struggles um, against zone. Uh, Young, uh, the matchup's good. Indian, uh, Indianapolis is 27th to just a fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So there's some potential here. They are going to give up some points. Uh, this could be a, a high scoring game. It sort of depends on, on how the Panthers defense plays. I think really the rush defense, if they're able to contain Jonathan Taylor uh, and uh, Zach Moss, if they're not, then this could be a pretty high scoring game. If those guys are running rough shot and they, they those two have the best matchups for the Colts, uh, 31st to just a fantasy points allowed to running backs the, the Panthers are. So I think this, you know, is probably going to be a high-ish scoring game for from a Panthers standpoint. So I do have Young ranked as a, a QB2, a middle-of-the-road type QB2, and there, there is a little bit of upside there, but uh, certainly your stats against zone are a little bit uh, worrisome. And maybe, as we've seen in the past, even with like Derek Carr going over 300 yards, we've seen that the volume will hopefully be enough for these individuals to get there. So Bryce Young can still have a bad game, but it might not matter um, as long as he's getting a lot of volume in this one. For the Colts side of the ball too, uh, we've seen now that 
we think Gardner Minshew and the Colts passing attack can th- get there all because of the way Shane Steichen schemes the offense. And Minshew's first starts even. The Colts have combined for 60 points per game with their opponent and lead the league in plays and drives per game. So because of that, everyone of the passing attack for the Colts is getting there. Although I do think it's more of a, a game for Michael Pittman over Josh Downs this week just because the boundary, since they've lost J.C. Horn, is still with the Panthers are not so much leaking constantly plays to opposing wide receivers, but they're still allowing nine yards per catch. They will give up a couple big plays. So uh, Pittman still leading the team also with a 29% target share from Gardner Minshew. So I do like Pittman over downs this week. Yeah, and this is, you know, the, I think the, the Colts have a lot stronger running game than the, the Texans did last week. So the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that they the, the Panthers shut down Stroud after he looked so good uh, first half of the season. Uh, didn't allow much to Nico Collins or Tank Dell, et cetera. Uh, Stroud sort of got there with a rushing touchdown. Uh, but I don't know if they were able to keep, I'm just looking at Singletary, he was 10 for 30 uh, rushing, Damian Pierce 12 for 46. I don't think they were really able to keep the Panthers honest on the ground, but the the, the Colts should be able to do that, you know, and some, and then some. So the opportunity should be there for Gardner Minshew to make some plays downfield. And I do agree with you. I have Pittman ahead of Downs. Uh, Pittman ranked as a like a wide receiver two, while Downs is like a high-end wide receiver three. And I don't know what the hell happened in the second half there was this play at the 225 mark of the second quarter when Jonathan Taylor was seen being uh, limping off the field. And that's why he only got one, or that's why we think he got one carry and one target in the second half. Shane Steichen said that had nothing to do with it. Either way, though, to nearly get the 100 yard bonus for everyone in their leagues in only the first half of play. And we think that Bryce Young may struggle against zone coverage here. You go right back to Jonathan Taylor, you go right back to Zach Moss. It's very easy. Uh, Zach Moss continues splitting touches too because he's too good to take off the field. So he is a weekly flex option at worst, probably closer to an RB2 or 3, and you just don't overthink it. You just keep starting both of these guys this week. For the Giants at the Raiders, the Giants are easy because Saquon Barkley is on a path to probably get injured again with 30 touches per game at his last three starts since he returned from injury. Daniel Jones also expected to return, but remember, it wasn't an offensive line issue because Tyrod Taylor was just fine. It was a Daniel Jones issue who was dead last in the league in yards per attempt under pressure. So I worry about Daniel Jones even being healthy in this game. Really, though, for the other side of the ball, everyone wants to know what to do with the Raiders. So I have thoughts, but I'm curious to get your opinion on Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs and this new regime from Aiden O'Connell. Well, uh, you know, looking at Aiden O'Connell's other start this year, he peppered uh, Devontae Adams with targets. Uh, Jacoby Myers, uh, I think, only had four or five targets. Uh, Devontae had, I think, 13, like eight catches, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, So I would expect a a bounce-back game from Adams from a volume standpoint. I don't know that the efficiency or yardage or touchdowns all going to be there, but he should see plenty of targets. And... Um, he certainly there's a squeaky wheel uh, storyline here with what was going on with Devante in Detroit um, and O'Connell probably uh, the better fit at this point for this offense. Uh, Myers, I think I, I moved him down a bit seeing those target splits from O'Connell from the first game. It just seems like he's 
uh, when he was in there, just very intent on getting the ball to Devontae Adams. So that's so, sort of how I have it ranked uh, ranked right now. And the Giants are just sort of a middle-of-the-road uh, defense against receivers. So it's not nothing too daunting. I think Devontae probably gets their you know, low-end wide receiver one numbers there on volume. You're obviously playing Josh Jacobs because he gets all the touches. Like, he'll still be bad. 3.1 yards per carry isn't going to get fixed overnight, all because they fired the head coach and offensive coordinator. It's definitely a, a Jacobs not being explosive this year thing, but he gets all the touches, start him. Who cares? I do have a little more confidence in Devontae Adams and Michael Mayer, though. One, because as you mentioned, in Aiden O'Connell's last start, which isn't even fair to evaluate him from since Khalil Mack lived in the backfield. Khalil Mack, who has a majority of his career sacks with the Chargers against the Raiders in particular. Um, O'Connell still targeted Devontae Adams for a 34% target share. Also, it's a small sample, but O'Connell has been blitzed 12 times this year, which we know Wink Martindale lives by, and he's completed 90% of those passes for 7.8 yards per attempt. So a little more faith against this Giants defense as opposed to the Chargers defense the first time they played. For Michael Mayer, if you take away a couple weeks ago, the fourth quarter against the Bears when all the starters were benched, Mayer's route participation in the last three games has progressively increased. 67%, 71%, and then you wouldn't know from the box score because no one got there, but on Monday night, 76%, a season-high mark. So with a new coaching staff, it also could flip, and maybe they just – it could go the other way too, but maybe they could just eliminate Austin Hooper altogether and give Mayer full run as the rookie they drafted. So I still have confidence in Mayer as a fringe tight end one, someone to play if you're desperate in this spot against the Giants who are allowing the third most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. Two, four. Yeah, the the, the raw, I was just going to say the raw, raw numbers are a little bit better. They're, they're seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to, to tight ends. Uh, so that's interesting, but I, I have him ranked as a kind of the middle of the road tight end too. I think there's some interesting streamers this week, but it really will depend on uh, injury statuses for some of these guys. For the Cowboys at the Eagles, the Cowboys being three-point dogs, last year when these two teams played with Mike McCarthy, Dex first start under him, Eagles kept three safeties back. They just basically told the Cowboys to either run or throw underneath to beat them, and that's exactly what Prescott did. C.D. Lamb had a 31.4% target share in that game. Dak went for 347-3, and and this year it sort of sets up the same way because offensive coordinators know you can't run on Philadelphia. No running back has reached 15 carries or 60 rushing yards against them, and because of that, Philadelphia is facing a league-high 74% pass play rate. So we have confidence in Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb and Jake Ferguson. Uh, I have my personal preference in Michael Gallup over Brandon Cooks because I ha- I got mentioned a couple of people saying, why isn't Brandon Cooks in the waiver wire? And it's because he's pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. He's gotten there the past two weeks with a touchdown in both those games, but only 12.5% of the team's targets. He hasn't been over 16% target share in any game since week three. Whereas Michael Gallup even had out-targeted Brandon Cooks 28-19 to in the month prior to the bye, and before the bye against the Chargers, a team-high 27.7% target share. Gallup is the player I want over Brandon Cooks if you're looking for one of those ancillary options through the air. Yeah, Gallup is popping in the uh, breakout receiver model as well for Week 9, which I, that model actually really crushed things like <laughs> last week so uh hot run models running hot so uh, yeah i would pick uh, gallup over cooks as well uh 
pass funnel, as you mentioned. So I think Jake Ferguson is a solid, very solid start. Uh, obviously, you're starting CD Lamb. I've got him ranked top five, and I think Dak Prescott. I've got him at seven. So you know, strong, strong outlook for the uh, Cowboys passing game this week. Tony Pollard, like running backs getting all the touches but not doing anything. You're playing him just because he's getting the touches. You hope it's a normal game script, the first ever the Cowboys will have played all year uh, for Pollard as well. But there's a lot of things going wrong, I think a lot, because Tony Pollard is still recovering from that injury. But he's getting the carries, he's getting the targets. Just roll him out there and cross your fingers he gets there. For the Eagles, tough matchup, sure. I'm certainly worried about Jalen Hurts' knee injury. But at least we know that A.J. Brown is going to keep getting there. Maybe if only because since week three, he's seen 30% target share. So he just gets too much volume to ever worry about him. And we talked about Devontae Smith being the pivot last week, and Smith did get there against the Commanders. This week, I take a scale, I scale it back, and I think Dallas Goddard's the better option over Devontae Smith because at least we know the Cowboys, seventh most yards per game, sixth most yards per catch to opposing tight ends. And since week three, as I mentioned, Devonta Smith and Goddard have tied in target share behind A.J. Brown with 17.7% apiece. Yeah, Goddard is a top five play. I've got him at t- tight end five. Uh, the Cowboys are 19th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to uh, tight ends and fifth, no, sixth in uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed two receivers. So certainly uh, Goddard should have more opportunities than Devonta Smith as the second option uh, in this passing game. For the Bills at the Bengals on Sunday night, we had questions if Joe Burrow was healthy. And coming out of the bye, not only some amazing plays on film, but 10 of 10 for 13 and a half yards per attempt under pressure. I would say Burrow is just fine. Not only that, but we know this Bills defense, although they took care of business on Thursday night against a bad Bucks team, has become a much different unit over the last month of the season without Tredavious White and Matt Milano. 20th in yards per attempt through the air, 25th in explosive runs, gains of 10-plus yards allowed on the ground. So we think it's a great spot for the Bengals' offense on Sunday night. Yeah, I would go both ways with this one. It should be a high-scoring game. Uh Josh Allen and Joe Burrow should both find success. The, the adjusted fantasy points allowed numbers are still catching up to those injuries that you mentioned for the Bills, so they still look like a pretty tough matchup on, in certain uh, situations. But Mixon has a good matchup. They're 24th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs already, 7th against quarterbacks. Uh, so, you know, I think Burrow last week showed that it really doesn't matter what the defense is. It was 49ers and did fine. So he's got, he's got some of the best uh, receivers uh, in terms of the receiving core uh, in the, in the league. And I think he'll be fine. And this will be a high scoring game. And because it's a high scoring game, we think both offenses will ultimately get there, but we at least saw the bills open up theirs and their first game without Dawson Knox. It's stupid. It takes one of their two tight ends to be injured for them to be fun again. But that's what happened is that they ran 11 personnel, three wide sets at the second highest rate in the league. The only time they ran more was the other time one of their tight ends was injured and Dalton Cade being absent. Also Josh Allen, a season high three design runs and now back to back season highs and carries seven. Uh, Dalton Cade in on a route for a season high, 85% participation And then the big winner, because of those three wide sets, was Khalil Shakir with 
a season high 70% route rate and 15.5% target share, 18.5% target share. So your thoughts on Khalil Shakir and where you have him ranked this week? Yeah, I think with the Bills, you know, you know who you're starting, uh, Diggs, Allen, uh, Kincaid for sure. And then I think you get into Gabe Davis and uh, Khalil Shakir and you're wondering, you know, who to start or if to start those guys. And, you know, Davis has done it over a longer period of time with all the touchdowns that he scores. Uh, I'm curious if you have a thought on the uh, amount of zone that the Bengals play. It's 51%, which looks like it's a little bit... Uh, on the low side league wide and uh, Gabe Davis, I think does better against uh zone than he does man to man. Uh, but Shakir, you know, do you trust the one week sample of him with the, with the spike in, in route running? Uh, probably. I think you, they, they put a concerted effort to get him out in the field and get him the ball. And he, he delivered. So I've got him ranked as a wide receiver four. Gabe Davis as a wide receiver three. For the rest of the season, Leonard Fournette, I don't expect to be active for this game, but it's clear why they signed him. And I ranked him accordingly on the waiver wire. If you jump in on the site, you can go check it out there rest of season because Latavius Murray now has five carries inside the two-yard line as their primary goal line back. He's totaled negative one yards and one touchdown. It's just not enough. It's not good enough. So I think Fournette comes in takes over that goal line equity. And then in finishing fifth among all running backs and targets per game, I could see him being used in pass pro and on third down over James Cook too. So we have multiple outs with him and with Josh Allen for the rest of the season. I do like Fournette long-term, but can't think of him being a factor in an immediate turnaround on Sunday night here. Yeah, I don't know how much he affects Cook long-term, maybe some. Uh, I guess they, you know, if, if Murray's having that many, that many struggles in the uh, red zone or a goal line, uh, his opportunities that they might turn to Cook, and now they're going to be turning to to Fournette, so that's where he might uh, make some hay. But I still think uh, James Cook' uh, role between the 20s doesn't change a whole lot. And finally, for the Chargers and the Jets, Josh Palmer sounds like he's going to come down to the wire as a game-time decision because of the knee injury he re-aggravated this past week. And because of that, we did see Quentin Johnson get involved for a season-high target share, but we still really need Palmer out of the way to have confidence in any of the ancillary options behind Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, given how great the Jets' defense has been and limiting uh, elite opposing quarterbacks on the year. So your thoughts on the Chargers offense first. Well, the Jets are number one worst matchup in the league for receivers. So in terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed. So you know, Keenan, you start Keenan. But after that, Palmer is kind of faded in the rankings. I have him at 43 right now. Uh, Quentin Johnson at 65 or something like that, 66. If Palmer's out, Johnson will move up. But I don't have confidence that he's going to deliver against the Jets. I'm a little low on uh, Justin Herbert in terms of his, you know, expected projected um, passing yards. I do think that though the other player besides Eckler and Keenan that's startable if. Gerald Everett remains out is Donald Parham. Uh, the Jets are 24th in just a fancy points allowed to tight ends. He's got some touchdown equity upside as well. Uh, if Everett does play, then maybe he could be kind of squeezed in there as a streamer. But uh, as it stands, I think Parham is the, the big winner with, with Everett out. 
We definitely do need, need, as you mentioned, Gerald Everett out, though, for that to happen. Otherwise, we've seen them basically be the Seahawks committee and that no one gets there because they're all being used. What about through the passing side of the ball for the Jets? Because you would think it's a good spot, given that everyone continues exploding through the air against this Chargers secondary. Yeah, Wilson I have in the top 10. He's going to get there, I think, on volume. I actually am... I guess reasonably high in Zach Wilson. I think that was one of the things that jumped out in the projections when I first ran the numbers is that he was showing up as a, you know, middle of the road, high end QB two. I dropped him down a little bit from that, but the chargers are last in the league and adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to quarterback. So they're the best matchup that he could possibly have. Uh, and they are, a, they're a pass funnel as well. They're doing, they're doing a good job against the run. I don't know if they'll be able to keep that up against Brees Hall, but Brees Hall should be able to get there perhaps as a, um, as a receiver as well. Oh, Brees Hall, you know, what when you were dealing with your how rich problems, I was going on a soliloquy about Javante Williams' rest of season and how I truly think he's a buy right now at basically whatever price. Uh, like, like, even if we don't think we're going to have Stafford or even with like Jordan Addison, let's say from Josh Dobbs, I think Jordan Addison for Javante Williams is an amazing trade if you're getting Javante Williams. I'd say that for Brees Hall too, because we've just seen the lid popped off now. and. His share of the team's backfield touches have increased in all three of his last games, 71.5%, 77.2%, and then coming out of their bye, a season-high 82% of their touches. And we saw him not get there as a running back this past week, but to handle 18 to 22 backfield touches and still get six receptions, explode for that 50-yard touchdown catch. As long as he's getting all the touches, he is the talent now a half season removed from recovering from his torn ACL that gets there weekly with a good defense because the game script keeps him involved. So Brees Hall, I mean, you just have to get higher on rest of season. Not yeah, you, yeah. universal you. Yeah, uh, I have him at three this week. I think he's just a real strong start. If he doesn't get there as a runner, he'll get there as a passer or as a receiver. With that, though, Paulson, an hour show because it's always fun when the quarterbacks are bad and we don't have to talk about in-depth the offense is going off because no one goes off in the year 2023 of football. So what else do you have for everyone on the site? Uh, Sneaky starts is up. I'm going to be doing my discord chat tomorrow at uh, 2 PM Pacific, uh, 5 PM Eastern. So if you want to get into the discord and discuss some questions, start sits there, that'd be great. And again, special DFS show time for this week only, Friday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, where if you have questions about matchups, we really dive into a lot of the splits there because we're making week-to-week decisions. Thus, you should take that information and use those week-to-week decisions to also benefit yourself with your start-sit questions. With that being said, remember, still a discount going on at the site right now because you can get those league dues back, whether it be through our betting or DFS Discord, if you are still fighting for the playoffs. Until then, we will both be back on Friday. And remember, until then, be a little bit kind of what's o'clock. See you next time.